Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Olm. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Michael Martin of Avenue 8. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Scott. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Everything's good here. And uh, maybe you can just kind of start by retracing your career and how you had the idea for Avenue 8. Sure. So my co-founder, Justin, and I have been working at Avenue 8 for about two and a half years. And we come from different backgrounds. Justin has been a career... A real estate agent, super successful, born and raised in the Bay Area. My background is is different and more divergent, but I think in in many ways, Avenue Eight is like the perfect combination of my various professional experiences. So, my first career out of school was working in New York uh, in finance, uh, two years as a investment banking analyst at Deutsche Bank. Back when leveraged buyouts were driving the market, I was in the financial sponsors group and. Had the benefit of working on two really big transactions. Uh, the first was the buyout of Harrah's Casino by Apollo and TPG, and the second. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And then the second was the buyout of Clear Channel by uh, Th Lee and, and Bain. And so, you know, kind of by luck, was able to work on two really large and complex transactions, and then left banking to go into private equity. Ended up joining Apollo. Uh, and this was back in 2008. And just to give you a sense of what was happening back then, I remember we were looking at a business. And we put initial indication of interest in September for two and a half billion. And by the time that we walked away from the deal in December, the price had fallen to 700 million because the entire economy had had changed as a result of the Great Recession. Back in 2008, one of Apollo's major portfolio companies was Realogy, which is the biggest brokerage in the country. You know, they own NRT, uh, Sotheby's, Colo Banker, Century 21, Better Homes and Gardens. Um, and what was happening in 2008, you know, transaction volumes were declining, which made revenue challenging. Also, Realogy as a business still does had, you know, billions of lease liability for all the office space across the country that it's hard to unwind. Um, also, Zillow and Trulia were two years old in 2008. So consumer search was beginning to move online and becoming more democratized. Uh, not going into the office anymore to you know sell your home or look for an agent. Yeah, pretty amazing experience at Apollo. Just you know they are experts in in sort of dislocated markets and distressed markets and uh, learned a lot about that type of investing. So after a couple of years, decided that I wanted to be more operational and uh, also kind of tap into my creative side. In college, I was a comparative literature major and 
also studied art history and have always been drawn to design and aesthetics. So I knew the two founders of a digital agency in New York called Code and Theory, which at the time was about 50 people. Uh, one of the first projects that we worked on when I joined was to redesign Vogue.com. Um, just to give you, a, wow. give you a sense of, of that project. Before the redesign, if you went to Vogue.com, it was a one-page form where you could sign up for a print subscription. Uh, and then obviously- Well, but you're, the, the, the redesign, there must've been so much pressure on that redesign. Like if that didn't look beautiful and, and amazing, you were in trouble. So that's, that's a really high bar. Yeah, it was, it was a high bar. We, I, guess, I guess it was a successful outcome because they asked us to redesign Vogue again in 2014 uh, to kind of match more of a feed-based model of content delivery and consumption. Mm. Um, just kind of given what had happened with, you know, comes like BuzzFeed, just creating higher velocity content distribution. And, you know, you really need kind of more of a flexible CMS to, to support that level of publishing. So Code 3 was amazing. I was there for almost a decade as a managing partner and had the privilege of working with really talented designers and developers and brand marketers uh, for clients ranging from you know, high-end fashion like Chanel and Hermes to publishers like Bloomberg and the Huffington Post and a lot of companies in between. And so I, I met Justin just through a mutual friend and he, you know, he had uh, sort of a vision for where the industry could go, what a new brokerage could look like, and his experience as an agent, having been to a lot of different brokerages and never feeling like the value exchange was fair, really made sense to me for a couple of reasons. Like from the from the Apollo days, if you were to build a modern brokerage today and go back to first principles, it would look really different. You, it wouldn't have a brick and mortar core; it would be totally decentralized. It would function much more as a platform as opposed to like a physical entity that people go to to do work and now that agents are living in a kind of post enterprise cloud post mobile world you know a lot of the solutions that they need to do their job can be delivered through api driven services so we kind of felt like the operating leverage a modern brokerage could deliver by being decentralized would be would be pretty amazing and by being a brokerage and the regulatory counterparty in a transaction you have a huge advantage over a pure play SaaS business because you can actually follow the payment. The other re reason why it made a lot of sense was from the code and theory perspective. I always think that if, you know, we had 500 really talented employees at code and theory when I left. And if our only clients, instead of being, you know, Adidas and, you know, large, you know, brands had been real estate agents, I mean, we could have supported a large number of them. They are all uh, navigating very similar distribution channels. They all have similar content marketing needs and requirements. And that is uh, that is time consuming and complex for brands, like let alone an individual salesperson who now has to figure out how to create content and define an SEO strategy and think about retargeting and make sense of the data and allocate a marketing budget. You know, and also no sell way. homes. Yeah. No way they can do that. It's, re yeah. it's really complex. And so we really believe that you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you choose to pursue entrepreneurship through the path of selling real estate, you deserve a fair shot at that, which means, you know, intelligent data-driven marketing decisions, high quality creative execution for support and a UI that is not complex. I mean, I think there are so many dashboards and dropdowns and all these affordances of how you can, you know, implement different workflows. And it's like, it gets unused, you know? So we yeah. said, how can we create a radically simple mobile first user experience for agents so that the experience for them doing their work doesn't feel that much different than ordering rideshare? 
or yep. food delivery because it's a lot of repetitive tasks. And yeah. you know, the data schemas behind these tasks are often the same every time. So that's sort of the vision for the product and how Avenue came to be. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been super exciting since then. It's amazing. Like I, I'm super, you said like 20 amazing things that you're doing for your clients, but like in, in my heart, I feel like you're virtualizing real estate brokerage and like that and you touched on it with like no physical leases, like whoever goes into a real estate office anymore, like who, who wants, what, what broker wants to share their commission structure and have that commission structure going. I mean, there's some sharing, but like have that a big portion of that commission structure going to pay for like assets that are not valuable in any way. When you touched on it, like the, the digital assets are what really matter to people now. So I just think you guys are like, I think you're super well positioned and I, I think it's really exciting what you, what you guys are doing. Thank you. I mean, I, we obviously did not expect that, you know, a week after launching shelter in place would happen, but in many ways it's accelerated the mental model and changes the industry that we thought were going to happen regardless by, by a lot. And I think a lot of the agents that we spoke to, even in January that were saying, well, I like the office because you know, I have, I have a hard time working at home or I like, you know, I, yeah. like they've now become totally comfortable working from home. And I think a lot of the other agents as well that said, well, I like being at, you know, the big brokerage because I get open houses and that's how I get business. It's like, well, now they need a totally new strategy because there are no open houses and likely will never come back in the form that they were. And that new strategy is intrinsically digital. And so when you think about what are the core unmet needs of agents today, and what are the primary services that brokerages offer? They're totally misaligned. And then layer on the fact that agents are 1099 contractors that own their customer data, do all of their own lead generation. And despite that, they arguably have worse economics than Uber drivers. Like in this country, they're getting- That's the one that killed me. That's the one that just absolutely, especially the lead gen, like they're generating their own customers. That's what like, kind of in life, if you can generate the customers, you tend to get paid well or or- have a big side, big, big portion of the upside. But like, I feel like they're, that's the, the giant disconnect for me in your industry. Well, I mean, back in the day, you know, it was all on-premise software. So if you wanted to search MLS listings, you had to be in the brokerage office and there was probably a computer, mm. there was probably a computer at the mm. office that had the software that had the listings. And then when Zillow and Trulia democratized search and consumers could find access to inventory without going to the office, they no longer needed to walk in, but agents were still operating yeah. in in a world where it was like kind of pre-DocuSign, you know, and, and a lot of the marketing workflows were still very analog. But today, you know, it's all available through cloud services, increasingly through API-driven services. And agents are direct-to-consumer brands. Because of social media, they have a direct relationship with their buyers and sellers. And so yeah. the idea of relying on the brokerage brand for leads and business is no longer the case. Yeah. It's also like, there's there's also like, a, you, everything you said is totally accurate, but, and I'm not even a millennial, I'm 43 and my wife's like 35, but like, we don't, we actually prefer to interact digitally and not have to go on the, like, there's so many things about the process that there, forget the economics aspect of it, the customer preference aspect of it doesn't, the customer, like the end customers, me as a, as a, someone who wants to buy a house someday, don't want to deal with that stuff. Like it can be like, I, I just think I, what I love about Avenue 8 is you guys are isolating the things that the brokers really want and need and the customers want and need. And you're stripping out the stuff that's superfluous 
but also costs a lot of money. So like the whole value chain is getting more efficient and more profitable, which is pretty exciting. And I think, you know, despite certain companies out there that are trying to disintermediate agents out of the transaction, we have 1000% conviction that given the fact that residential real estate is most people's largest asset, it's an incredibly emotional and complex transaction. We believe agents are here to stay for a very, very long time and that they are the ones that are radically underserved in the market. So our goal is to really supercharge them. And, you know, we get questions all the time, like, well, why do we need, why do you need an agent? Right. And I think, you know, try anyone that's bought a home, like, and, you know, try doing that again without an agent. Like, I think that there's a reason why the hyper-local knowledge, the ability to, to get you into contract in the competitive market, just the understanding of the process, it's really critical. And look at industries like travel, like how long has kayak and Orbits and booking.com been around. There are still travel agents. Yeah. And that is a way less complex and emotional process than buying a home. Yeah. Well, actually, but also to continue that analogy, one of our clients, Pana, is like a tra is like a digital travel agent in the same way that you guys are digital brokerage firm. And it works really, really well. So like this is happening across like the trend you guys are executing in the real estate industry is happening in travel, like you said. And in account, like, I kind of feel like every time you and I talk, I feel like we're brothers or cousins because we're doing the exact same thing in the accounting industry. Totally. And it's like, it's, it's liberating and it's liberating not to have to charge people a ton of money just so that you can run like, like Avenue eight is not going to have the, 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 the capital and the, the revenue stream that Avenue eight is going to be required and the, and their broker partners is not going to be like monumental. You know, it's not, there's just so much room in this industry to be more efficient. I, I, it's really, it's really cool. For sure. And I think also one of the, you know, opportunities that we have given the fact that a brokerage is that regulatory counterparty in the marketplace of real estate, the ability for a brokerage to be part of the home ownership journey is, is tremendous, right? Because all of the adjacent services, if you're a mortgage lender, if you're a title officer, if you are a home insurer, if you are a home service provider, you better have a good bench of agents because they are your number one source of lead generation so we as a brokerage at the beginning of the transaction life cycle have an opportunity to you know be very involved in the origination of the consumer experience for all of those adjacent services and that that relationship doesn't need to end once the transaction is completed yeah well there was one adjacent service that we were talking about a couple weeks ago that i found it i hadn't really thought about it but it makes so much sense you guys were able are basically able to like virtualize the staging process. And like you, I know people who I've even looked at houses that are not staged and like, if it's not staged, it's way harder for the person buying it to visualize what's happening, what's going to happen. And it's, they don't want to pay as much. And so staging is like a good investment, but we were just, it was like, this wasn't even, it didn't even seem that big of a deal to you, but you kind of like off the cuff, you're like, Oh yeah, by the way, we've got staging now. Like, can you talk about how you start adding these digital services? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great companies that are focusing on rendering and virtualization technology. You know, I think the ability to customize some of that for different, the tastes of different buyers is interesting, right? Like if you're looking at a house and you have a modern aesthetic, you should see with modern furniture. If you have a yeah. traditional aesthetic, you should see, you know, in, in, in that regard, especially if it's virtual. I think the other big piece that we've been able to do on that side is more of a financial solution, which is um, by working with our agents, sellers can literally renovate and stage their homes with no upfront cost. 
um, and just, you know, pay out of escrow once the home sells. And I think a lot of times, you know, historically, it's the agents that have had to put up that capital on behalf of the seller yeah. or the seller has to front the cash. Uh, but just by virtue of, you know, some of the other um, financial services out there, uh, we can now provide sellers that upfront experience in a turnkey sort of way. And then obviously you can't guarantee any outcomes, but typically homes that are you know, have a modernized kitchen or maybe uh, some some more paint. Have a net positive ROI on the sales price. Yeah, that's really really smart. And if I didn't hadn't thought of that, I didn't know you could do that. But you can kind of roll it into like the the escrow or when the cup when the when the house actually gets bought. Then that's when the distribution to the staging company happens. That's and or the repair people. That's that's fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean it, it it makes sense. And I think you know as long as you have the right partners in place that are you know willing to work around that working capital cycle, then uh, it's, it's a really fantastic solution for, for sellers, particularly, you know, in markets like the Bay Area, where you have a lot of homes that, you know, are uh, really desirable, but, you know, maybe the kitchen hasn't changed since the 70s. And it doesn't take a whole lot to get it to, to meet the buyer's expectation. But, you know, typically, yeah. you can get a two to one, three to one, four to one return on, on some of those improvements. That's amazing. I hadn't thought about the capital outlay by, by the agent, but and, th and this is going to be like slightly embarrassing, but like, I, I love watching million dollar listing. And so like, I'll see some of these guys they're like when the I'm, I'm, la I'm laughing, but it's true. Like, they're squirming, the agents are squirming because they put a bunch of money into the marketing of the property and they're nervous that the property's not gonna sell or whatever. And so for you guys to be able to facilitate handling either the marketing expense or some of these like refurbishments or staging is that's that's really amazing. Yeah, million dollar listing has really encouraged a lot of people to enter into the real estate industry. Uh, you know, Justin, my, my partner was the star of the show. Um, That's right. I remember you say, yeah. What what market was he in? San, was San, San Francisco? Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. San Francisco. And you know, I think he was already successful and continues yeah, to be, yeah, yeah. you know, successful. But um, I think that that show has inspired a lot of people to pursue being an agent. And I think one of the things you'll see in the next few years, especially if the economy remains sluggish, is people looking for secondary income. And there's a lot of you know people out there, whether you're a teacher or you know, parent re-entering the workforce and you're a social person, you're smart, you like selling and you decide to study and take your exam and, you know, get your license as, as, as a realtor. I think Avenue 8 is in many ways the lowest friction platform to begin that journey. And we would totally support that. That's interesting. The, the new one in our house is selling sunset that, that like could not be hotter. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's kind of interesting about that. I hadn't thought of that, how that could, that trend could really help you guys, but that's such a um, woman oriented show where a million dollar listing feels a little bit more oriented towards men and, or I don't know, maybe it's me projecting here, but selling sunsets, like all women. And I gotta say my wife, has that on like every time I walk into the living room, I think we're to season two right now. So that's, that's, that's really exciting that I hadn't thought about this, the, the kind of quote unquote side hustle or secondary income, but as the mark, as like we're seeing with COVID, I know our client base, people are moving everywhere across the country. Like things are changing so fast and I can see people wanting to do something on the weekends to make extra money or they're creative people and they like selling that's a, that's in a way that's a creative outlet for them. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I agree. And I think also real estate, you know, it's, it's so many different things at once, obviously represents home, but it's also architecture, it's design, it's, yeah. it's landscaping, it's interiors, it's fashion. So I think it just, 
hits on a lot of different interests for people. It's a, it's a really dynamic asset class. Yep, it's really cool. And you made the point also earlier that I loved about it being the single largest investment that people make in their personal life. So yes, and I, I'm with you. Like I, I don't see a world without agents because it's just like too, like we're kind of navigating the process right now. We, we, we lean on our agent Dirk like a lot, like without him, the, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really know what we're doing whatsoever. <laughs> so it's pretty valuable. What are the next kind of like, or maybe you don't, you don't need to break any news on the podcast, but like, what are the next kind of things that you want to introduce to make agents life easier and make them more effective? Well, I think there's a couple of things I'll say. The, the first bit of exciting news is that we recently brought on our first agent in LA, which is really exciting. Oh, um, so it's our, nice. our first expansion out of the core Bay Area market where we're all, where you know the team is based and our first group of, of agents is based. But uh, LA is an enormous market. I mean, you mentioned selling Sunset. Yeah. I think uh, you yeah. know there are <laughs> there are ten times as many real estate agents in Southern California as is in Northern California, and um, you know also very competitive and attractive market dynamics down there. So that's that's been super exciting. Um, you know, from a product perspective, I think one thing that we are spending a lot of time on right now is building out and enhancing our data infrastructure. You know the the way that real estate treats data is unlike any industry I've seen. There are 800 different MLSs in this country, which historically all had different data schemas. And it is a very... How is that possible? Is it because like each region has an MLS or something like that? Yeah. Like so how, how could... There's 75 MLSs in California alone. So the, the first MLS was, was in the 1800s. And it was basically a way for, you know, a centralized place to, to find to find listings and, and create some some rules and regulations around how, how real estate's bought and sold. So over the years, each MLS had its own local listings. And eventually when computers became a thing, they built databases and those databases were all built independently. So there wasn't a yeah. you know singular architecture or schema around how that was built. And then eventually, you know, the National Association of Realtors, which governs the MLSs, said, you all need to have an API. And so then, you know, a handful of companies kind of emerged that would create handshake deals with different MLSs and build you know, a standardized API, but but even those have some differences. And despite the existence of organizations that have been pushing for uniform standards for years, the adoption has not been as quick as really as anyone would like. So it still remains a pretty complex thing to navigate. And as a result, if you're an agent and you are valuing a home, your your data set is often not totally complete. And even if it is complete, it's not a complete picture of the value of the home, right? You can't just look at the median price of the five properties in the surrounding area then do an average and say, hey, that's what the home is worth. There are so many different yeah. nuances. So one of the big focuses of ours to provide value to our agents is to equip them with enhanced comps by leveraging a lot of alternative data sets to make uh, the views more multidimensional and also you know, just more um, thoughtful about how we assess value. So like, like I look at dollar per square footage, but you're right. Like some of the dollars per square, some of the people in San Francisco have like refurbished an attic, <laughs> like the square footage is like, that's like, that's like zero value square footage, you know, versus like, so that's a super simple, but you could probably do stuff like layer on proximity to schools or other interesting thing that, that makes these comps way more helpful. Right. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities, I mean, there's a lot, right? Like, so the interior price per square foot versus the exterior price per square foot. If you think about, mm. if you think about a property, 
you know, you have the land and the location of that land, which accrues in value. And you have the literal house, which is probably like a car. It's a depreciating asset. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. that varies home to home. So that's one way to look at it. I never thought about that. That's really smart. If oh you, my gosh. If you think about like uh, permit data, right? You might have two properties that are identical, but one is on a block where 30 kitchen remodel permits have been issued in the last 12 months. So what does that tell you about the direction of that street? Are these, is there going to be more transaction volume coming up? Are those homes remodeled and they're going to increase the price because of gentrification? Like that's one way to look at it. Wow. That's really cool. Flipping that's the view, amazing. flipping the view. Like if you're an agent and you want to grow your business, maybe your neighborhood's Noe Valley, like, all right, well, buyers Noe Valley, like where do they work? You know, where do they get coffee? What brands do they shop online? Yeah. How do we package storytelling that actually gets in front of them? So I think there's just so many possibilities of how, you know, alternative data, Foursquare data, Yelp data can be kind of repackaged into a valuable product. Yeah, that's amazing, Michael. I love it. Well, this has been amazing. Anyway, or do you mind leaving the audience with just a way to get a hold of you, especially brokers out there who want to start working with Avenue 8? Like, should they go through the website? Should they reach out to you on LinkedIn? What's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, uh, the website, avenue8.com. You can, you know, request info and, and we are super responsive. So if you're you know, an agent and, you know, are looking for some new energy and, and maybe more support on the things that take up a lot of time. I think it'd be a really great fit. Right now we're only in California. So uh, hopefully, you know, in the near future, we can expand out to some other states. But right now we're really just focused on um, building our, our business here. Um, and then, yes, uh, LinkedIn, uh, uh, you know, is a great place to connect. I think also, if you are a realtor, LinkedIn is a huge opportunity for you. If you just think about what are the companies that are going public in the next six months, who's been working there for a long time and might have a liquidity event. And once they do that, they'll probably want to make a transaction of some sort. It's a great way to just, you know, build your sphere of influence. I love it. I, it's, it seems like Instagram and LinkedIn are the two like major social networks for real estate, real estate agents and, or people who are like potential buyers, like you were saying, like that's where I spend a lot of time. It's, I don't know. The, 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 every time we talk, I get super excited about your company because I feel like you guys are just, you're right in the sweet spot. And COVID kind of accelerated this. Like I, w I wouldn't have thought about it, but it's, it's, you, you guys are, you just did a good job. Like, and, and I know this is not like an overnight success. You've been working on this company for a couple of years now, but it's, it's, it's all about right time, right place. And I think you guys are there. Appreciate that. Yeah. There's a lot of work to do, but certainly I would say, by by virtual by by virtue of being virtual, um, we've been able to adapt adapt well, and even our team, you know, our, the the Avenue Eight full time team, and we have a couple of young parents on the team. I think um, it's been challenging at certain times. Obviously, having to play like so many different roles at home and work from home, obviously be at home and, and parent at home and teach at home. So we've tried to really create um, a constructive and collaborative you know environment for for everyone. But, you know, 50,000 Slack messages in since February, I think it's, you know, the modern, the modern ways of, of communicating and project management are, are playing out. Yeah, I love it. All right, man. Thank you for coming by. I really appreciate it and super excited about your company. Thanks, Scott. It was really fun. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise, founders and friends. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Old.